0: came in here and he was like, what's wrong, Asian tofu? I'm like, why are you calling me Asian tofu? And then he was like, because you're white and Asian, just like tofu.
1: Oh my (laughs) gosh. I
0: was like, you kind of got a point. (laughs) That's hilarious. Uh, (laughs) Because I have the the cookbook sitting right next to me. So... so
1: should we start calling you AT for short?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will not respond to Asian tofu or to sushi. Either way. <laughs> Rachel, and this is the Miso Hungry podcast. Itadakimasu. Just Miso Hungry. Today, like always, we are talking about everything you never knew you wanted to know about Japanese food. And as a special little thing for you, we also have a guest who will be joining us later to help us tell you about today's topic. But first, Rachel, how are you doing? You've been sick.
1: Yeah, I've got my annual spring sinus infection. Hooray. Uh, <laughs> so if I sound um a little off, it's because I sound like someone's pinching my nose shut.
0: <laughs> well, they already had to listen to me being sick a couple of weeks ago. So,
1: yeah, yeah we're human.
0: <laughs> so I heard you've been drinking something very good and very Japanese to help with this sickness of yours.
1: Yes. Two things, actually. One cold and one hot. Have, I've been, I think I drank about a gallon of mugicha today. Mugicha is roasted barley that's then steeped to make an herbal tea. And I, you can drink it hot or cold, but I like mine cold. And it's really good for you, like for congestion and sinuses and just kind of clearing out everything that's bad. <laughs> so, and it just, it's just tastes good and then I've been also drinking a lot of ginger tea which is just fresh ginger that you steep in hot water and then, then I add a little bit of lemon and honey mm. so hot and cold I've been kind of switching off between the two
0: well we hope you get better soon very soon
1: me too because <laughs> I want to be able to taste things again
0: yeah, that's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> so today we have a topic that we're really excited about especially Rachel because this is totally her thing. I'm geeking out. We are talking about tofu. And we also have (laughs) a very excited Rachel and a special guest. Her name is Andrea Nguyen and she is the author of a cookbook that was recently released called Asian Tofu. And we really, really recommend that you go get it because it's just an awesome book all about tofu. And so we got to talk to her, and you will be hearing that later on. So, Allison. Yes.
1: This might be a stupid question to ask because, I I mean, I don't know. I'm a little out of touch with the general non-Japanese population. But it might be helpful to ask the question, what is tofu? Because there might be people out there that don't know.
0: Are there people out there that don't know? Who knows? (laughs) But it's possible. There might be. That's true. Tofu is bean curd which sounds much less appetizing than it actually is. It's made from dried soybeans, water, and a coagulant that kind of makes it bind together. There are a bunch of different types of tofu. Uh, Most of these you can find in, at least around here, you can find it in pretty much every supermarket that you go into. They range from silken to medium, medium firm, extra firm, and super firm. What about soft? I know I've seen soft as well as something different from silken.
1: Yeah, it all depends. I mean, each manufacturer, producer tends to have their own terminology, so oh, that's a good point. it just depends. Here's the issue I have with tofu. The terminology that surrounds tofu is the opposite of appetizing.
0: <laughs> yes, and I think part of the problem with that is that here it's been labeled to the extreme, as a health food. And you eat it when you are trying to be really healthy, but it's one of those things that you don't really like, so you kind of have to force it down. I think the way it's approached here in the U.S., in general, not always, there are some very good applications of it, but in general, it's just not good. Yes!
1: Okay, so my goal for this episode is to kind of reorient people's thinking and to get them thinking about tofu in a whole new way. We're at least I am not here to convince people to eat tofu as a meat substitute. I want people to think about tofu as its whole own self, a totally other category. And you know, I would love to start hearing people use adjectives like pillowy and mm. creamy and nutty and and all kinds of other deliciousness
0: part of the problem with that is that people don't well obviously people don't understand tofu in general and they don't necessarily know how to approach it and so they get the wrong kind or you know if they're looking for something soft but they get firm tofu it's not going to be super soft like silken is it's you know a completely different animal I and there's
1: think a reason that, for that. Yes, yeah. yes.
0: There's definitely a reason for that. And and firm tofu does have a place. It can be very good. But I think people just don't really know what to expect or how to use it. And also, I wanted to mention that tofu as a meat substitute is done really poorly in American products like tofu. Yes. Ew. <laughs> oh, <No. laughs> it's just it's wrong. <laughs> but like you've ever been to a vegan or vegetarian Asian restaurant where they use tofu as a meat substitute, it is amazingly good. Like, you would not guess that you are not eating meat because the texture is right. The flavor is right. It's just so good. So, good
1: point. Yeah. But I, but I language, also want people to think about it as something more
0: than yes, a meat substitute. Definitely, definitely.
1: So I think one thing that can help people kind of reposition their thinking on tofu is understanding how it's made. Because really, tofu is the equivalent of a simple cheese when it comes to the plant world. The process of making it is almost identical to that of making something you know like paneer or feta. You're taking a milk, that, in this situation a soy milk, and you're adding a coagulant or you're heating it and then adding a coagulant, and it separates into curds and whey. And you take the curds and you put them into a mold and you press them into this block of stuff like cheese. So, in a way, it's bean cheese.
0: <laughs> 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 and it's the most appetizing sounding thing ever. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but it's way
1: more appetizing sounding than bean curd. I don't know. It's true.
0: <laughs> Well, but but that's also another way in which it relates to cheese because it is the curds of the beans. You know, you make cheese, it's yeah. curds of, of the milk.
1: Right. But when you're talking to someone who understands the cheese making process, I guess it's not so weird to talk about curds. This but I know before I got into really exploring that part of the food industry, I thought the, the word curd was kind of funny. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
0: That's true. I mean, thinking about the Little Miss Muffet fairy tale, I never knew what curds and whey were
1: up until the
0: last few years
1: yeah i had no idea so that is growing up with that meant yeah. <laughs> so i don't know i yeah but it's hard too because you know any way you spin it bean cheese soy <laughs> cheese <laughs> it just doesn't sound right
0: well especially because there are those soy cheese substitutes so i guess once you
1: kind of understand what it is then just calling it by tofu <laughs> it just <laughs> <Yes>. sounds better <laughs> okay so now we know what it is tofu
0: delicious and I love your point about how getting people to make it helps you connect with what it is and how good it can be. Because that's totally what happened to me. I did grow up eating tofu and tofu products to a certain extent. But, I mean, as a kid, I always hated it. It was so bland and I would pick it out of my foods. But then when I had that tofu class with you back in October, uh-huh. it completely changed my perspective on what tofu is how it can be used and how good it can be because the brands you get in the grocery store are okay but they're not great but there's a real difference
1: between mass-produced machine-made tofu Mm -hmm. and artisan tofu you know the flavor differences and the texture differences are crazy i mean it's it's like Going to the store and buying a tomato and growing a tomato in your garden—I mean, exactly. it's like they're not even the same thing.
0: Right.
1: Or store-bought bread and homemade bread. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's just shocking how different they are.
0: <laughs> exactly. So and I think
1: homemade tofu actually has a lot of flavor.
0: It really does, and it's well, the opposite say. of bland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm I sorry. Go if ahead. if <laughs> it's fine, if people, if more people could taste how homemade tofu, or even just artisan tofu, tastes. I think here in the U.S., people could really learn to love tofu and appreciate it as its own thing instead of just this meat substitute that you have to eat because you're trying to be healthy. Right.
1: That and also learning when to use what kind of tofu. Learning when the best time is to use a firmer tofu as opposed to a softer tofu. I mean, Mm -hmm. because they Each have their place.
0: Just gonna put it out there. If anybody wants to open an artisan tofu shop in LA, we will be your best customers, and we will totally help you open that shop. Yes, we will. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so go on. You're gonna say something. And I'll be
1: in there with you making the tofu (laughs) as many (laughs) mornings as I can be, (laughs) because I love to make it. So I guess part of what might be helpful for people who don't know when to use what kind of tofu is having a good resource or resources to go to mm-hmm. so that they don't get stuck using the wrong thing. Right. And, you know, we mentioned that we were going to be talking to Andrea about her new book. And I think that this book is one of uh, the best resources out there right now in kind of learning how to approach tofu in a way that is going to give you delicious dishes.
0: Right, and that's one thing I really love about her cookbook is I feel like most of the cookbooks I get these days are very superficial in a way. Like, they don't really get into what the ingredient or the technique or the style is, whereas her book, Asian Tofu, is so ridiculously informative about not only what tofu is, the history of tofu, how to make it at home how to use it, and even use tofu that you buy at the store so that pretty much anybody can develop a serious appreciation for tofu.
1: It's one of those books where it just gets you really excited about it. It's not just a bunch of recipes, mm-hmm. you know, to go home and try. And even there, it is right. a great resource for recipes, but it just gets you fascinated and excited and appreciative of this whole realm of foods.
0: Exactly. Although I am going to say it doesn't take much to get you excited about tofu. <laughs> That's
1: true. <laughs> uh, i I think we uh, have coined a new term recently, okay. and and I think I'm like at the pinnacle of, of what this term means. <laughs> and that is tofu nerd. <laughs> and at some point, when they add this this term to the dictionary, I think they're probably going to have a picture of me right next to it. Yes. Tofu it will be nerd, picture I am of the you. ultimate. I am a proud tofu nerd. Yes. So speaking of another tofu nerd,
0: let's, let's talk to Andrea. Yes, let's. So Andrea Nguyen is the author of a recently released cookbook titled Asian Tofu. It is a book that is focused on putting tofu in its original context as an important Asian staple that people have made, cooked, and enjoyed for centuries, and presenting tofu traditions as they exist and as they continue to develop.
1: Andrea is one of the country's leading voices and experts on Asian cuisine, and she's the author of the acclaimed Asian Dumplings Cookbook and the James Beard and IACP-nominated cookbook called Into the Vietnamese Kitchen. Uh, She's written for a bunch of publications such as Sever Magazine and the Los Angeles Times, and she's also the creator for the Asian Market Shopper app and also the author of an absolutely fabulous blog, Viet World Kitchen. Hi, Andrea. Welcome to Me So Hungry. We are so excited to be able to talk to you today.
2: Thank you so much, Rachel and Allison, for having me on. I love the name of your podcast.
0: (laughs) Thank you. We are huge fans of your work, Um, not just the tofu book, but all of your books. So we were wondering how your new book, Asian Tofu, how you got the inspiration to do this and why you decided to do it.
2: Sure. Um, you're not the first person <laughs> to say, why did you write a book about tofu? Um, because, you know, it's in the West, there, it's such a polarizing ingredient, really. If you're not familiar with, you know, if you didn't grow up with tofu or travel to Asia where you've experienced it a lot, you're, you're not so hungry for, for tofu. You don't say, me so hungry for tofu, Right. <laughs> And I grew up with tofu, and I just ate it. And it was just like part of my regular um, daily routine, weekly routine with my family. And I've written about it in Into the Vietnamese Kitchen. You know, when we got to Asian Dumplings, my second book, I was putting it into dumpling fillings, whether it was um, squeezed into a filling for Korean mandu, the Koreans love to put tofu into their fillings, or chopped up uh, pressed tofu into like a Chinese bow and stuff but I never really thought about what tofu meant and then one day my mother calls me up a few years ago and she says, you know, I've got a friend who moved to Africa and she can't find tofu over there so do you know how to make it? My mom's in her late 70s I was like, why is she asking me this question and what's a Vietnamese woman doing in Africa anyway? Um, and I started thinking about this, and I thought there's got to be something about tofu that's really special that this woman misses that's so integral to her life and who she is. So I started looking around. I started asking questions. I live in, in California, and I had, for example, taken a trip up to Portland, and there is a food truck up there, a Japanese food truck. So I was buying um, some, I think it was, Yako or something like that and the guy who was selling it was this really like hunky young Japanese man and so he's like standing there and I said, so, you eat a lot of tofu? And he says, oh yeah, you know, I wake up in the morning and I'm from Japan, I'm here trying to be an actor but I'm working at the food truck every day <laughs> and he said, I wake up in the morning sometimes and I crave tofu and I just get a block of it and I put honey on it and I eat it for breakfast. And the way that he expressed that to me, I thought, you know, here's a guy in his 20s and he's away from home. And one of the things that he thinks about is eating tofu in the morning. And I thought, how good is that? So then I started tinkering with making my own tofu. And I realized how it's like the equivalent of a fresh cheese or a fresh loaf of bread. It is extremely, extremely good. And we don't get that in the United States because we don't have neighborhood tofu shops to go to. So that's the genesis of this book. There's a certain do-it-yourself co- component to it, but there are also wonderful recipes that help people really get into the groove of what it's like to eat and cook tofu the Asian way.
1: That's one of the things that I loved is is that you incorporated the, the DIY component because I think the way tofu is often presented here in the West, it can be less palatable, but when you attempt to make your own, the difference can be so extraordinary that it, it can be convincing enough to get people to re-examine tofu. What what surprised you the most about the first time that you made tofu?
2: That I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds really weird, but you know, I, I just kind of thought, uh, oh my gosh, there, I had read um, sort of the, what I call the Bible of tofu which um, is a tofu book written by uh, William Shirtleff and his wife Akiko Ayogagi. It was written in the 1970s and it is this really sick book that has all these details about tofu and he relates like techniques by these artisanal tofu makers in Kyoto and Tokyo and I thought oh my gosh I have to go and apprentice with someone to really get this you know down and then I just Went to my health food store and bought some beans and (laughs) and ordered some tofu molds online. (laughs) Went to the fabric store and bought some muslin, got some coagulant from a Japanese market. And the first batch of beans that I ground up and and made up into tofu, it worked. And I realized, and it tasted really good too. And I remember staring down at the block in the sink and I thought, my God, I just made a block of tofu. And you know... (laughs) We I we grow up buying it in tubs and it just seems like this kind of other thing other than something that we could possibly make. But you dial it down and only three ingredients that go into it: beans, um, water, and coagulant. And you can source that um, pretty easily. And the rest is just practice. So it got kind of addictive, and that was really. The whole thing was just amazing to me, and then all the different things that you can do with it. With it, um, vary the amount of water to bean. The water to bean ratio t- then determines what kind of tofu you can make, and that was really cool too. Because it's sort of like you know, if you're a vegetarian, this is sort of like squeezing your own cow for milk, so to speak.
1: I love that. I love <laughs>
2: squeezing I your own cow. <laughs> <laughs> it's the <a> vegetarian cow. <laughs> well, yeah, cows are vegetarians. <laughs> It's bean cheese. <laughs> that's right. That's, uh, that's, that's right.
1: <laughs> so for the benefit of our listeners, can you describe the taste difference between store-bought and homemade tofu?
2: Yes. Think of the difference between the mozzarella that is packaged uh, in vacuum-sealed plastic, that rubbery stuff, um, versus fresh mozzarella that you buy sold in water or the difference between homemade bread and bread that you purchase that's been sitting in the supermarket. Or bread that you, you know, the difference between freshly baked bread and bread that you would purchase wrapped up in plastic in a supermarket. That's the difference. And um, it's startlingly good. I mean, you taste the, the nuttiness, um, the richness, kind of like a buttery quality of the soybeans and also the umami. See, a lot of people talk about how tofu is bland and tasteless, and when you make fresh tofu, you taste it. And some of the tofu makers I met in Japan, they said, it's got umami, and you have to actually let it rest after you make it for a little while for the umami to develop. And you know, you put some good shoyu on there, and my god, the tofu sings, and it's so simple.
0: So can you, talking about Japan, can you tell us a little more about traveling to Japan to do the research for this book?
2: Sure, I had a, just a you know limited amount of time and you know, money <laughs> so, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> and, um, and so I um, I spent my time in Tokyo and Kyoto and you know, Kyoto is like the uh, hub for Yuba and Yudofu and I really, I had had Yuba in the United States, and it was good. But my understanding of, my my ex- experiences in Asian cooking is very, has always been kind of centered on Southeast Asian and Chinese cooking. And so I didn't have, Yuba is, you know, a very specialized, very Japanese thing. The Chinese would um, take that tofu, uh, the, the soy milk, milk, skin, and they would dry it a little bit, and they would use it as a wrapper or drop it into food, whereas in Japan, yes, it's sold dried, but it's that fresh yuba that is the nama yuba, which is so darn amazing. When I tasted it the first time, it was at a um, tofu factory in Oakland, California, and then I did some research, and I realized that I needed to make a pilgrimage to Kyoto, (laughs) (laughs) To taste, you know, sort of like the holy grail of of Yuba making. Um, And also to taste Yudofu, which I didn't quite understand either. Because how could you take a block of tofu, put it into a nabe uh, vessel, and then heat it up and have it with some soy sauce and it could be transformational. So, um, you know, I went to, to Tokyo to sort of see tofu making from small artisanal shops. Um, and also to visit with my friend Elizabeth Ando, who's one of the world's foremost authorities on Japanese food. And Elizabeth and I are friends and she had purposefully uh, bought a home so that she could be close to what she considered to be one of the finest artisanal tofu shops in Tokyo. So she said, come on over and I'm gonna take you (laughs) to not just Takashimaya, but also to meet my tofu maker. Mr. and Mrs. Kanemoto of Nito Tofu and so you know I had like these people in Japan who were really really into it helping me and I I also reached out to other food professionals that I had met along the lines and who made introductions for me and people just stepped up and were like oh yeah I'll help you translate. I've never been to uh, a tofu shop before so let's go. So it's it became kind of like this little mission for me and whoever else that I could kind of rope into and to go and like visit these tofu shops and ask questions. And we learned a lot whoever that I was with. And then down in Kyoto, it was just, you know, wandering around and I was there in one of the hottest times. It was um September of 2010 and there was just a heat wave. And I, you know, ate yudofu several times and I was just bowled over because it had to deal with the freshness of the tofu and its natural umami. And there are udon tofu recipes out there that put vegetables and stuff in there. And I thought, you don't need the vegetables. You just need the tofu and some kombu and water and then the dipping sauce. And I was just, I was completely, completely converted. And that's what it means to go to the source, you know, because you're in like the whole kind of Buddhist, uh, the Zen <laughs> temple situation. And having like these fabulous meals just centered around tofu. It was enlightening. Absolutely enlightening. I would go back in a heartbeat as you can imagine.
1: We totally understand that. (laughs) (laughs) And
2: I I really
1: loved and I was actually going to comment on your yu dofu recipe that you included because I loved that you didn't include vegetables or anything because I think, like you said, to really understand that transformation that takes place with the tofu, you have to taste it without the other stuff to really understand what's going on. And so thank you for presenting it that way. I love that.
2: Well, it's like a purity thing, right? I mean, part of the thing with this book is I want it's, to, um, it's about putting tofu in the spotlight, putting tofu on center stage instead of back in the chorus, so to speak. And just letting, you know, tofu sing. And that was, you know, a a strategic decision that I made on my part and I really, you know, thank you for picking up on that because it's not, we're always trying to hide tofu in in the West, you know, I mean, we in the sense of people who aren't really familiar and who don't quite appreciate it as much Um, and so you're always sneaking it in, you're always trying to cover it up with cheese or sauce or something like that to mask it and Asian Tofu is a book about, you know, letting tofu be the star. So I tried to do that as much as I I could.
1: I I think you succeeded. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So speaking of helping home cooks to make tofu the star, are there any specific tips that you would really point out for for cooks to really pay attention to uh, when using tofu in their cooking?
2: Yes. You know, um, a lot of people, especially people starting out um, making tofu, uh, dishes and number one, you know what? You do not have to make tofu from scratch to make good tofu dishes. I think that there are certain instances, such as yu-dofu, where you go, oh yeah, you really, really want like the freshness of tofu to come right through. But you know, if you just want to make a really um, nice, let's say the uh, there's a little tofu scramble <laughs> recipe in there with bitter melon. You know, and it's it's like the kind of thing where I say, okay, so in the West, we make tofu scrambles, and they're yucky. They're really hard because it's made of, it like, <laughs> and they're kind of rubbery, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. so, they're disgusting. They are really, really weird. And I remember eating it once. I, I live in a very kind of, um, uh, I, I live in Santa Cruz. <laughs> and so there are many places here that serve tofu scrambles. I taste It's it hippie once. food I, when it's done that it, way. <laughs> it's hippie food, but you know, add a little meat to it, you know, dashi and, and shoyu, a uh, little mirin if you want to, you know, so then it's just a little bit of meat with the tofu. And that becomes like this completely different kind of tofu scramble, even though it's, it's, it's like broken up tofu, right? It's really good. Or like the inari zushi, my god. I, you know, the stuff that's sold a lot of times at sushi places or, you know, to-go places that is just awful <laughs> and the rice is not done well and the way that the tofu pockets are seasoned, they're just really bland. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Tokyo and Elizabeth Ando took me to T- Takashimaya to this, her favorite in um, vendor. They were huge. They were flavorful, um, packed with all kinds of terrific little goodies. And I thought, my God, why can't we do that in the United States? You know. And I think we, the only way we can do that is to do it ourselves. And that's a terrific little way to enjoy tofu. And you don't, you know, you're just buying the pre-fried tofu pockets and then seasoning them, and you can keep them in the fridge for a really long time, and then you know, add it to udon or you use it. Um, Stuff it with rice or whatever I mean it's just absolutely fabulous So there's a lot of tofu that people can make Tofu dishes that people can make Without really like having to soak beans and stuff But if you want to really experience That wonderful quality of fresh tofu Then by all means get your hands on some fresh uh, On some non-GMO or organic soybeans and go to town
0: So we're wondering if you could maybe point out Some of your favorite Japanese tofu dishes That are in the cookbook
2: well I, you know, you dofu is just one of my all time favorites. Um, I think a good hiyayako, oh my gosh, in the so those are sort of like the polar opposites in terms of seasonality, right? So <laughs> when the weather heats <laughs> up, have hiyayako, When it's cold, do yo dofu. The other dish that I oftentimes think of and the anarizushi too is is just great like road food, you know. Um, and the is fabulous too even you know if you don't like bitter melon use like you know squash or something like that um but because the technique for that particular tofu scramble really is in like the dashi and, and and the shoyu and all that and having a little bit of meat um the the there's a soy milk and silken tofu hot pot recipe in the book um tofu tosui that um i picked up from a tokyo this high-end Tokyo-based tofu restaurant, and that is one of the most phenomenal things that you can do with soy milk and tofu. I describe it as clam chowder without the clams, in the sense that you get the umami, you get the richness of the soy milk, because it's a very thick soy milk, rich soy milk, that's sort of, you want to think of like if you had cream or half and half that was made out of soy, and then you've got your silken tofu, a really great dashi for umami goodness and um it's in this hot pot when I ate that it was at the end of a very long tofu kaiseki lunch and this young woman brought this gigantic nabe out and placed it right in front of me and I ate the entire thing I think it was enough for like two or three people but it was so good (laughs) and when I came home from my trip to my my research trip from Asia, that was the first dish that I made. I was so excited to replicate that in in my home kitchen and, um, you know, I mean, conceptually it's kind of like a graduate level tofu dish, (laughs) but but, um, if you're really geeking out and if you got, you know, if you got the time and people who appreciate it, I just encourage you to try that particular recipe out because it is a gem. That's actually one of
1: the ones I have on my to-do list for the next week. Oh, cool. I've, I've had a similar dish, but um, have never actually made one, and so I'm, I'm dying to try your recipe. So it's on my list.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah you know, it's just it's white on white, it's creamy, it's crazy looking, and it's also crazy good tasting. So um, I, I look forward to, to hearing your reactions
1: well, I can probably uh, predict my re- reaction right now. I'm not going to be talking. I'm going to be sitting there drooling into my bowl. It's, uh, it's guaranteed.
0: Okay. Well,
1: thank you so much for joining us to talk tofu, and we hope that our listeners will go out and purchase a copy of Andrea's gorgeous new book, Asian Tofu, on sale now from Ten Speed Press. Thanks so
2: okay. much, Rachel and Allison. Thank you. Thank this you so much.
1: Fun. So much. We appreciate you. Uh, geeking out with us we're we're good at that anytime ladies we just want to give one more big special thank you to andrea uh, for being our first special guest here on me so hungry it was a pleasure to have you and we're so glad that we found another fellow tofu nerd tofu nerds unite
0: (laughs) awesome and in honor of our very first guest and Andrea's cookbook we would like to give away a copy of her cookbook to one lucky listener so all you have to do to be entered to win a copy is leave a comment on the show notes for this episode this is the tofu episode so leave a comment our website is misofy.com that's M-I-S-O-F-Y dot Make sure it's on this episode's show notes, and then you're entered to win. One entry per person, and you have one week to enter. So the contest closes at 11.59 p.m. Pacific Time on Monday, April 9th. So that is one week from today. Well, I think we have
1: sufficiently geeked out on this topic for this week, but we are handing the reins over to you to discover your inner tofu nerd, and you can do that by continuing to connect with us.
0: You can call us and ask us tofu questions or let us know about your experiences with tofu, or let us know that you are a fellow tofu nerd as well. Our phone number is six five seven four me That's six five seven. You can find us on Twitter at Miso Talk You can find us on our fan page on Facebook You can email us at misohungrypodcast at gmail.com You can leave us comments and enter to win Andrea's cookbook this week on our show notes on our website misofy.com That's M-I-S-O-F-Y dot com And we always love it if you would be ever so kind to leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes, because every little bit helps us get out to more people and bring you more content. I'm Allison Day. And I'm Rachel Hutchins, And you've been listening to the Me So Hungry podcast. The podcast where tofu nerds come to unite.
1: So do tofu nerds have to wear pocket protectors
0: no just tofu protectors
1: ah yes
0: you wouldn't want to squish your tofu
1: no that At would least, be bad
0: not more than it's supposed to be <laughs> 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 oh boy <laughs> oh, you're such dorks i love it so much
1: I'm like crying, I'm laughing so hard.